You're listening to The Wedding Whisperer with Sarah Burton of Simply Love Studio in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm here with Jason from Kentucky Pro DJ, and I'm so excited to have him as my first DJ on The Wedding Whisperer podcast. I have been working with Jason for more than a decade now, and There are two areas when it comes to not skimping on wedding vendors for your wedding day. And in my personal opinion and professional opinion, DJ is one of those two areas we don't skimp on. So we are going to dive right in. Jason, how does one become a wedding DJ? How one becomes a DJ is truly with the love of music. That's got to be one of your passions. You got to love music and want to stay up to date and in tune with music. And then also you have to be an outgoing person and enjoy playing music for others. For me, I became a DJ when I was in a fraternity in college and EKU in Richmond there at the time, there were a bunch of bars and clubs. So my fraternity brothers worked there and they uh, were able to help me get a job. So that was my college job. A way to make money was DJing in bars and clubs, which then led into friends from college getting married that led me into DJing weddings. So when did Kentucky Pro DJ actually start? So Kentucky Pro DJ, I started the company in 2009 and uh, it was part-time then, uh, you know, probably doing 20 to 25 weddings a year. And then in 2014, decided to go full-time and we have grown the company and now we do 125 to 150 weddings a year. Now you're not the one doing all of those weddings. Absolutely. Correct. I absolutely am not. I personally do between 35 and 40. And then we have a team as well of other DJs. And most of those DJs like to do 20 to 25 weddings each as well. For the DJs that work with you at Kentucky Pro DJ, how do you train them? How do they learn the ropes of being a DJ? Biggest thing for us is we want to train to our brand. We have built our brand on trying to be very professional and being aware of everything that happens at weddings. So when you're hired on, we have a full training system. It runs about 16 to 20 weeks as far as the training goes. We have videos that they train from. We have quizzes. We have videos that they have to submit to us. But then also throughout this entire process, they're shadowing us at events. They're going to events. They're helping us set up. They're helping us tear down. They're watching all the moving parts and pieces of the ceremony, the cocktail hour, the reception, the lighting. There's just so many different parts to it. So we want to make sure that they get to see and learn every part of the entire process before they ever become a lead DJ for our team. Now, we will see the term, we see DJ often, and then we also see the term MC. Tell me what the difference is in those two. Absolutely. The best way to look at it is the MC or master of ceremonies is the host. That's the person you're going to see on the microphone. They're going to be talking to all your guests on the microphone. They're going to be doing introductions announcing first dances, cake cutting, and keeping your guests informed throughout the night. That person also is going to be super organized from our team because they're going to be working with all the other vendors behind the scenes and making sure that they are ready and aware of the next formality before we ever announce it on the microphone. 
So kind of the way to look at it is the host is going to be the face. That's who you're going to see the most of. Once the party starts, that's where the DJ kind of comes in more. And that can be definitely two distinctive roles. It could be two different people or it could be the same person, depending on how the company's structured or what all services, you know, is included for that wedding. If it's just a, you know, a basic four hour reception versus a ceremony cocktail hour reception uplighting. If we, you know, a lot of times we'll have two people, we'll have a DJ and MC if there's a lot more involvement. And also, you know, at the venue, is all this going to be happening in one room or are we spread out in three di- three or four different places? For sure. So talking about being spread out. So obviously you have your reception set up and then oftentimes you will have a cocktail hour set up. And then if the ceremony is on site as well, you will have a ceremony set up. Now, is that typically all in one price or are there different prices for each option? How does that work? So we do different prices for each option. Um, Main reason for that is there's more time, there's more equipment, and there's just a lot more details that go into it. So if we're doing a ceremony, we're not trying to get people to dance. Everyone's focus is on the vows and the music, and it's completely quiet. So we invest in the highest end microphones that we can find. We want the cleanest sound system that we can find. And we want a sound system that doesn't have a lot of bass. We just want people to be able to hear. We're not trying to get people to dance at the ceremony. So with that equipment, we're investing a lot more money in that equipment. And it's a completely separate system. So we have to charge for that. Same thing with cocktails. When people move to cocktails, we want it to be a smooth transition from each place. So we want to already have a cocktail system set up. That way, as guests are arriving at cocktails, there's already music playing. From there, same thing going to reception. As they're transitioning, we're already starting the music at the reception, which is a completely different sound system because at that point, we need loud music because that's when we're going to throw the party. Okay, and so... If a couple is using like a quartet for their ceremony, can you also provide like the microphone and the sound system for the officiants? Absolutely. We we do that a whole lot. If there is a string quartet, we will provide the microphones. We do a lapel style microphone, which is clip on for the officiant. We can also put one on the groom if the groom is willing to wear it. And then we also have a wireless handheld. That way, if anyone is... Uh, if you have a reader for scripture or poem or anything like that, we have a wireless handheld because we want all the guests to be able to hear what's being said. You don't want to have your guest that's in the back two or three rows that can't hear anything that's going on during the ceremony. Because if I can't hear and I'm in the back, I'm completely tuned out. I'm zoned out. I have no idea what's happening. And there have been times where it's been, you know, a smaller sound system or they've used a friend sound system or something. And if your guests are going to be there, they want to be a part of it. So I do think it's important to, if it's more than like 20 guests or something, to have the officiant in mind. Absolutely. And yeah, I think I agree. 20 people for sure. I mean, the biggest thing is, is this is uh, intimate time. Yes, you want everyone to be able to hear. So wear the microphone so the microphone can amplify it and everybody can hear. You don't need to be screaming at each other during your vows at that intimate moment, just so everybody, so you can feel like everybody can hear you. What I'm gathering from this conversation is that you have a lot of equipment with you on wedding days. 
So we have more equipment than I'd like to admit, to be honest with you. So for us, if we're doing a luxury full day wedding, we're going to bring ceremony sound that's going to have up to four microphones because we like to provide backup just in case it's technology. You just never know what's going to happen. You know, you can spend as much money as you want, but it's still electronics. Anything can happen. So we have a full ceremony set up. We have backup gear with that. Our speakers are powered speakers. So if we have two speakers and something happens to one of them, we still have sound out of the other, but we still have backup equipment that we leave in our vehicle. Same thing with cocktail hour. We're going to have that separate speaker that's going to be running for cocktail hour. But if we have any issues, we still have backup that is built in because we could move the ceremony speaker over in case of an emergency. And then for the reception, the same thing. We're going to have a full sound system there, and then we're going to have backup in the truck. We don't want to bring any of the backup equipment on site. We leave it in our vehicle because we want to keep that clean, professional look at all times. But we also know that we're just a few steps away from being able to get to that. And then as far as even music, I mean, we have three to four different backups of music just to make sure that we're always covered. Usually we have at least two laptops that have all of our entire music library. We have thumb drives that have uh, music on them as far as formalities and then like the top two to three hundred dance songs. And then we have iPads or our phones as well, just in case of emergency. We have backups for the backup. Always. You, you can never have too much. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime thing. We can't take a chance on failure. So we want to make sure that we have all these backups and make sure that we're going to be able to cover what we said we were going to do. So whenever a couple is looking for a DJ for their wedding, um, I feel like our engagement set, like season for each couple has gotten less. So I feel like a lot of couples are booking six to 12 months out now instead of the 12 to 24 months. Is there an ideal time frame that a couple would reach out to you before their wedding? We kind of see it all over the board, honestly. We're booking 18 to 24 months out still okay. currently, but we're seeing a lot more of people reaching out a lot closer. We've had people reach out two months or less, which is not something that we're typically used to. So we're seeing a transition there. But if you want to guarantee your entertainment and work with the DJ that you want to work with, definitely the sooner the better because you know each DJ can only work one wedding. So if you know who you want, definitely try to get in touch and book them as soon as possible. We're actually recording the podcast in April. But I want to talk about fall dates, specifically October. Are there dates that are already full in October? October has been full for a long time. September and October, busiest two months. We are currently uh, 2024, September and October dates are starting to disappear for us. Wow. Absolutely. So, but then again, we just had somebody reach out last week for Memorial Day weekend. So, you know, last weekend in May. And it's at a nicer venue and they're just a little bit later doing it. But unfortunately, you know, we've been booked up for Memorial Day weekend for at least eight to 10 months. Right. And I think that's one of the things that with DJs, we don't have a plethora of DJs in our area. Um, and so it is something that does get booked. And when you're booked, like you said, you, you can only do so many. And when couples are looking at DJs, one of the questions that I get from them a lot is that 
there is a kind of a price gap um, in between the DJs that we have here. What are your thoughts on the price gap and what should um, a couple kind of expect to or plan to budget for when it comes to a DJ? Great question. I feel like DJ entertainment is honestly a lot like a lot of other things that you go out and purchase every day. There's Walmart. And then, of course, you got Nordstrom and you can go up. It just really depends on what you're looking for. Also, in the DJ industry, you got people that do it for a hobby for fun. You got people that do it as a side hustle and it means something to them. And then you got some that do it professionally because that's how they feed their family. Um, with that being said, you got with that, of course, you got people that are doing it law abiding. They're actually buying their music legally. They're paying taxes and insurance and their overhead is going to cost a lot more than the person that is, you know, online illegally downloading music and they're buying the cheapest speakers that they can get. So quality has a whole lot to do with it. Education and training has a whole lot to do with it. You know, there's a fit for everybody. I feel like if you're looking for a professional DJ, ask them what type of training they've been to, what type of experience do they have? Where have they worked? Who have they worked with? Because like for us, we, we flew in a MC expert and did a two day full on training, just speaking on a microphone and it was recorded and we had to do it in front of each other. And my opinion, I, it's harder to speak in front of your own peers as you know they're judging you than it is in front of a room of 300. But we learn, we grow, we want to get better in what we do. So training is super important. Experience is super important. I think that has a lot to do with the pricing. And then, like I said, you got some that have never had any training whatsoever and they went and found used equipment online, but they like to play music and, you know, they're free to do it. And I think, too, it kind of goes back to every couple's budget and what that allows. And completely changing topics, one of the things that I really like about Kentucky Pro DJ is the attire that your DJs wear on the wedding day. You're always dressed in suits and ties, and um, I feel like some, that's something a lot of wedding vendors have kind of gotten away from is kind of the professional look because we are creatives and we like expressing who we are through our air clothes but that is one thing that I always appreciate about your team is that you are there and you look professional I appreciate that we take pride in that you know there are ways that we can still kind of snazzy up our suits with our ties or with our shoes so we can still have our own little personal flair but ultimately we want to look professional and be professional no matter how hard we try we're still in the background of a lot of these photos and it, it doesn't matter what we do or where we set up. We're in the background because the dance floor is always close to us. So we feel like we want to look as professional as possible. And that goes with our setups as well. We want our setups to be as clean and neat as possible. Any type of equipment or bags that we bring things in, we want those put away and making sure that our presence is nice and neat because, you know, those photos live forever. So what you're saying is when um, another vendor wants to put their bag close to your your DJ booth, you want it to be clean and neat when they do that? Absolutely. We even will show them the place where we store our stuff as well, just so that we can keep it clean. Yeah. That's one of the things when I did full service planning. It was like, we literally had nowhere to hide stuff. 
except we're close to the DJ booth. Yeah, that, so. And that's where most people come to. So we, we are very open to showing them. And uh, there's been times that we've brought extra facades at certain venues to put up. And, it, and what a facade is, is what we put around our booth just to make all the wires look clean so you can't see them. And we've brought those and actually stored stuff okay. there. And we've let photographers set their bags down, videographers set their bags down and put that fa facade kind of behind them as a temporary block just so it makes the room look cleaner and neater. Because, you know, we're right by the dance floor and that's where all the formalities are happening and where most of the attention for the entire reception is. So we want it to look clean and neat. And whenever a couple is kind of booking a DJ, because a lot of times that is toward the beginning stages of the planning process, is there a certain time frame that you recommend that they book you for for the reception? Is there, can they add on extra time um, at the reception closer to the wedding date once they know their timeline? What is kind of a standard time frame that you work with? Our standard weddings, if we're going to, and what I consider a standard wedding nowadays, because I would say 80% of our weddings, we do have the ceremony sound as well, is six hours. So the way we kind of break it down in our world is we start music in half, a half hour before guests arrive. So, or I'm sorry, half hour before the ceremony starts, which is when some guests start arriving, we'll start light instrumental music. Then the ceremony itself is about 30 minutes. So there's an hour for that. Then we have the transition to cocktail cocktails, which most people call it cocktail hour, usually 45 minutes. And then you got the transition into the reception. When we talk reception, we're talking about the grand entrance, the welcome, the blessing, dinner, formal dances, toast, cake cutting. So we consider that a four hour reception. So that, typically is what we see as six hours. We do offer more time and kind of how we do that. We do it on day of and we offer it in half hour increments because the one thing we don't want to do is have you pay us for extra time and you not need it. You don't know exactly how all your guests are going to react. So if they're having the time in their life and you want to go longer, great. There's also those weddings where people get overserved and there's no way they can make it that extra hour. You know, a lot of times that's out of your control. So I don't, we don't want you all paying us for that extra hour and then us not performing that work. So, so, so that's why we offer night of. I know that you offer uplights. You have a couple of photo booth options. What else do you offer couples for their wedding day? Depending if the venue will allow it, we have uh, CO2 cannons. We have confetti cannons that we can use. And we do have what is called the cold sparks. With the cold sparks, we have actually started moving those more to outdoor. Legally, they say that they are safe, but um, from national reviews, we have seen that they may not be as safe as they were first stated. So we are playing it on the safe side and we're trying not to use those indoors because we definitely do not want to cause any fires in the venues or cause any problems. Okay. And then my last big question uh, is regardless of who a couple goes with for their DJ, um, I always recommend they have a contract. Absolutely. Is there anything in the contract that you would recommend that a couple absolutely make sure is in there for their DJ? The biggest thing on the DJ side that I would tell you to be aware of is making sure you know who you're working with. So like, 
with us, for instance, if you book with Kentucky Pro DJ and our proposal when it comes out, you actually will see the names of the DJs that are available. When you select that person that you want to work with, that person's name goes in the contract. Now, we also have a package where it says associate DJ, and that is when the bride and groom or the client agrees that we as a company can select the DJ. So if you are selecting a DJ specifically, make sure their name is in the contract. Because there are some companies that will tell you that you're working, or I've heard anyway, that you're working with this person, but that person's not the person that actually ends up showing up. So just make sure that you know who you're working with and get that in writing. That is one of the things that um, Kelly Joy Films and I just talked about um, when we did her podcast was how videographers. That's also a thing is a lot of times when um, couples sign the contract, they don't actually know who they're working with. So, and I think that's one of the benefits of going with um, a local company, someone that is here, someone that's the face of the business. And when they reach out, you're involved in every single wedding in some form or fashion. So, Absolutely. I do. The, I even do the, a majority of our sales calls. So I let them know that, hey, I'm not available, but this, this is who is available. And then through that sales call, I can kind of learn their personality as well and see who I think would be the best fit for them from our team. Perfect. Well, Jason, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Is there any like last piece of advice you want to give couples as they look at booking a DJ for their wedding? Yes, absolutely. Okay. If you like to dance, remember, this is your wedding reception. Dance and have fun. Don't spend your whole night shaking hands and thanking people for, com- for coming to your wedding. I know it's great that all your friends and family are there, but it is your- just remember, ultimately, it's your night. Treat it how you want to treat it. Your guest will understand. So if you want to have fun, have fun. And then if you're a guest and you're saying bye because you're leaving early and the bride and they're partying and they're on the dance floor, don't pull them off the dance floor. Let them have fun. You don't have to make them stop the party just so you can say bye. I love that. That is, yeah. And I never thought about that. As a guest, when I leave, I just bounce. Like, I'm, I'm good. So there's a lot I don't of want to interrupt them. That yeah. is really good advice. We see that a whole lot. Like, people want to tell them bye, but you're leaving early. So why stop their fun just to say bye? Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much. And couples can find you on Instagram, Facebook, all the social medias. You have an awesome website. Um, And thank you again for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you. For more information about Simply Love Studio or to schedule your wedding consultation, go to simplylovestudio.com.